Sales development continues to grow in importance as a critical component of a successful go-to-market strategy. And with the explosion of new tools, technology, and processes, the sales development industry itself is thriving, as seen with the growth of the 10-bound sales development market map over at 10bound.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep and go beyond sales development to think about the future of technology, processes, and tools in the industry with our host, noted futurist, author, and sales development practitioner, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. Tune in each week and be sure to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and turn on notifications to never miss an episode. And now, Beyond Sales Development with your host, Justin Michael. Hey, Eric, welcome to Beyond Sales Development. I'm Justin Michael, and uh, let's get right to it. You're the CMO of Science. I would love to uh, hear more about your role and uh, get caught up on what you're working on. Yeah, so Science is a little over five-year-old company. We practice the craft of sales development. I think straight at your audience, we're an outsourced sales development firm handling pretty much every aspect, and I'm hopeful to dive into one of our core fundamental beliefs, and that is sales specialization is the future, the trend, what we've built a relatively big business on. We're just under 600 people today and frankly been growing like a weed. So things have moved forward. Um, my particular role there, I oversee all marketing initiatives with the company. So our brand. And then I have a kind of a nice purview into a bunch of other elements that we handle, including client strategy, including some of our customer facing initiatives. So it's um, there's never a dull moment. That's awesome. Well, it's we're living in interesting times, right? I'm obviously very curious about the future of where sales development is going because I find if I can push the conversation further with this show, there's so many sales development plays. But I, I love having you on here because I think you've been so thoughtful about specialization in marketing. It's the big aha moment for sales, but marketing's been doing this all along. So can you talk to me about? Uh, looking at sales as a marketer and th- that impact on sales development. Yeah, without a doubt. One, I don't know if I'm one of the rare marketers who believes this, but as the folks that work for science will tell you, I am actually one of the the CMOs that will go around saying that I believe marketing serves sales. And you know, we are there to essentially provide ample opportunity, ample brand, and a very credible position for our sales team to walk into and really do their jobs. And I look at sales very holistically. I think of the ways in which sales activities can be chopped up and broken out as being a real source of strength when done right and done most efficiently. And frankly, I think that that's probably one of the key future directions that most modern sales departments will have. I think that one of the interesting pieces to that puzzle, riffing off of what you just talked about a a second ago, most other departments in in the modern organization have already been specialized to the high heavens. I would look no further than your average engineering, development, finance, marketing (laughs) departments, and, and really look at them as the governed by and driven by, especially at the individual contributor level, specialists, specialization. In marketing, we would think nothing of having designers, PR 
hacks, SEO folks, SEM folks, content writers, very specific analytics types, all performing super discrete functions all day long through the course of their business. And we would never think about mixing those roles. Right. Uh, and yet in sales, we, we think nothing of having your average full cycle sales rep start their day with research, begin by trying to figure out a prospecting list to call, spending some of their time prospecting and getting interrupted by, you know, some of the accounts that they're managing and spending hopefully the better parts of their day in negotiations or what we would call closing activities to advance a sale and push it forward. But ultimately having so many different responsibilities and so many different core competencies that it would be a wonder or more appropriately an, a unicorn that would fit each one of those <laughs> skill sets appropriately. That's really true. It reminds me of the movie uh, Moneyball, which I really enjoyed. I grew up playing baseball uh, to some degree. Great book uh, too. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a really cool concept. Like, how do you really harness the resources on your team, the different styles? There's so much AI and so much machine learning. Are you finding some of those widgets and AI tools helping you? Do you think that stuff is a flash in the pan? Or are we going to see some real leaps and bounds there? Well, I think that we have a core and fundamental belief at, at science. It's one of our philosophies called data-driven decision-making. And I think that Data can be very powerful harnessed correctly. I think there's a lot of overpromising in the space and AI or ML. The marketer in me recognizes the cachet that those terms have attached themselves to or taken on lives of their own. And frankly, we've seen them bastardized, for lack of a better way of putting it. Anyone and everyone that's been trying to sell something that's wanting to sound future forward. The reality of what's true AI, what's true ML, or how to harness data most appropriately, especially in this space, I think is less realized. And it's more of a journey than it is here today and truly influencing behaviors. Now, I'm a big believer that a lot of the future will be shaped by artificial intelligence going forward. Yeah. I suppose it's really, um, it's, a, it's a lot like that William Gibson quote, right? The future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. So the ways in which we can utilize AI to produce kind of better results, not true across the board, definitely not true for every company, definitely not true for every sales development team, just because they bought some product that had AI in, in the uh, title. That's so smart. And I kind of love this podcast because I get to interview my friends and they know how long-winded I could be. So they're usually shocked <laughs> when I'm sitting over listening thoughtfully. But we're talking about the here and now too and utility. Like if you're looking at working with hundreds of reps from a marketing and sales perspective and content perspective, I'm sure you have some really bird's eye views of some of the issues, right? Like how can an SDR listening to this be better, future-proof themselves? You know, what are the, some of the things you're seeing without giving away the secret sauce <laughs> of how the hamburger gets made? that would help people listening now? It's just kind of two questions. It's like, where should XDRs be focusing today and what kind of tech can they bank on that will help them for, for realistic gains in performance? Well, I think for today and the most immediate to medium term future, craft still matters. Yeah. I'm a huge adherent and believer in craft. And let me provide this perspective too, especially for your audience. 
I've held the title of CMO or head of marketing for the last decade and a half. I've spent more time on the buy side than I have on the sell side. As such, I've pretty much seen just about every tactic, just about every strategy, just about everything living in my inbox or on my phone or on my social channel to get, you know, at my role or my budget that I held or some sort of deal with the companies that I worked for. Right. As such, I think that what oftentimes gets lost, and I think is the the great impossibility of the SDR, is 99 point, let's just call it 5% of SDRs, for the most part, have never performed the role that they're calling into the prospects of. As such, you're forced to envision a world you don't understand. Goals and needs and hopes and dreams and wants that, frankly, you haven't felt. And yet, every single successful SDR taps into some sort of that desire state to produce the actions of an appointment, qualified meeting, at some point. Whether the words were written for them, or they delivered them right, or they forged a connection, or they stumbled upon it through sheer luck and happenstance, or they started to pattern match into a lot of the same titles, have a lot of the same problems, a lot of the same organizations have a lot of the same patterns. Ultimately, that's still an impossible task that I think goes back to this study of craft, study of the people, the personas, the habits, the personalization elements of the folks that you're going to be spending all your time trying to get the attention of. It's very well put. I guess like a lot of SDRs might not call to a CMO. They might. It's a good idea, I think, to go talk at various levels of organization. It would be fun though, what you just mentioned, like what's the funniest thing someone mailed you or sent you? Maybe it's two questions. Maybe it's like one is like funny, shocking, very memorable, and then it didn't work or something that was just, it, it worked and here's why. But I, I always love that because I, you know, I've heard some, some doozies, like someone sends a Converse shoe, can I get a foot in the door, this type of thing. <laughs> I've never gotten the Converse shoe. I've gotten plenty of foodstuffs and for those that love sending the cookies, keep them coming because our office, when, when offices are open, love yeah. them and they're shared about. And it's a great way of getting kind of uh, your brand in front of multiple decision influencers. What I'll say is like the absurdly, I don't know if it's funny. In fact, we run a column on our blog, the science blog. You can go and find a number of kind of back issues, if you will, where we go into the good, bad, and ugly emails of that month. And we literally do a full kind of teardown of <laughs> exactly that. And awesome. the ugly ones, the ugly ones for this audience, I think, would be probably easiest to avoid. Ugly in our world, oftentimes, let me share it. Science is an outsourced lead generation firm. I actually keep a folder called SDR Approach Emails. It's got thousands of emails in it. I have over, I have triple digit numbers of emails from our competitors who didn't bother to research and <laughs> thought that, you know, pitching their lead generation services to science was a good use of their time. Yeah, that's a good story. Well, as, as we move into the future, so I, I don't want to get like the Barbara Walters here. This is a show purely about B2B. However, I have found these interesting ecosystems, right? We want to try to automate everything as sales developers and growth hackers in a way. Maybe some people don't, but a lot of the new cool tech is like the promise of automation, less administration, less context switching. We've talked about this. 
And then there's platforms like LinkedIn that almost, they thrive by not opening the API. And it's like, at what point does Microsoft maybe find a way to do that in a humane way? So there's throttles, like, will there be a system that allows us as marketers or as sales developers being growth marketers to just tie it all together? I'm so curious at that because I keep buying all these automation platforms and I feel like I just spend more time testing them programming because I'm so scared to hit the button and release it because the curly brackets fail and this and that. So a lot to unpack there, but I'm sure you have interesting opinions. Well, I do. And, and frankly, our company science will be coming out and probably commercializing the software that we use to keep our own SDRs on time and on track at yeah. the workflow level. But since that's not out yet, I don't really care to talk too much about futures. You mentioned LinkedIn, and I actually have a perspective here that says, I think LinkedIn is likely to exist as is for the most part for the foreseeable future. If you think about it, when they were an independent organization before Microsoft acquired them, they struggled a lot with who they wanted to be in the world. They went through phases of recognition that they were effectively a monopoly for professional identity in our world. I, I don't even know that there's a relevant second choice. Like if I wanted to put my resume up somewhere in the world, somewhere online, I don't know where I would do it um, besides LinkedIn. That being said, LinkedIn, I think when they were an independent standalone, that wasn't enough. I think that that wasn't enough from a revenue perspective and just selling seats to salespeople and HR and recruiting types wasn't driving growth rates as fast as possible. So they became or wanted to become kind of like a social network a la Facebook, a la Twitter, and drive higher base ad revenues off of that, which is why there were so many dalliances with you know Richard Branson or Bill Gates or whomever cutting blog posts and pushing them uh, downstream to each and every uh, LinkedIn member. And right. so the, you know, getting more eyeballs onto the site was a popular goal. They seem to aban have abandoned that direction. And I think where they've landed is more of a user-generated content, as long as it's relatively tied in or business-focused. And that seems to be enough. It seems to be enough to have professional identity, user-generated content, and then kind of the limited views that they give you or the limited for salespeople's perspective, they don't want to give away their members, email addresses, phone numbers, contact details, largely because I think they are still very concerned with ultimately being that source of professional identity or source of record where I feel like my data is protected and I'm not getting spammed all the time if I'm a LinkedIn member who's going to change their job or update my status or otherwise use the software regularly. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's like all these industries crop up, right? Because LinkedIn is such a Goliath now. It's the top 20th site in the US. I think Reddit's number four. And so every little move they make, it's like it's like the whispering giant, right? So they deprecate groups. What's happening? You've got Revenue Collective and Sales Enablement Society and, and Rev Genius, and you have these things that we're living in groups that are now these Slack channels that are just going nuts off platform. Where's the future of collaboration? Like, is it just more internal to LinkedIn? I mean, and the data side is almost driven by the ability that I can't get an email and phone number. And then we see Zoom Info doing a virtual IPO and whole ecosystems of tech stacks coming out of some of the things that I can't do on my, on LinkedIn sales navigator. That's just really interesting. I look at that cause and effect. I'm not sure if uh, you see it that way and, and where that goes in 2025, 2035, 2050. I do. And, and I have a prognostication, you know, I'm not much of a betting guy, but 
as we stand here in July 2020, I would be absolutely shocked if you talk about the future of collaboration. I'd be absolutely shocked if Microsoft doesn't marry LinkedIn and Teams in some way within the next calendar year. That's a great that's a great prognostication. I'm curious too in the sales engagement ecosystem because you're you're close to that one and you've you've built some of these systems and done marketing what you see happening in the sequencer wars <laughs> in in essence. I mean, I thought there was two. I really I knew about outreach and sales loft and now there's 75 I think and some have the data and the sequencing and some can somehow sequence in LinkedIn but they're getting around it like there's so much cool tech coming out there. Who are you a fan of or what mechanic do you like? And do you think there's going to be acquisition? Do you think any will IPO? If you can't mention, that's fine too, but just it's fun for listeners. No, from a pure sequencer standpoint, we're both partners. Science is partnered with uh, SalesLoft and HubSpot. And nice. so we both, we believe in both of their tech and have frankly built on top of it. And awesome. yeah, we have a dog in this fight in many <laughs> respects. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm personally excited about sequencer tech because in a prior life, I you know, was head of marketing CMO for two separate CRM companies. And it's still shocking to me that the CRM market didn't see the sequencer revolution coming, potentially to their detriment, uh, and, are, and are only now, for the most part, getting in a, into the space in a meaningful way. But I love you know, the fact that Sequencers were really built to keep reps on time, on track, in an activities-based world with the idea that specialization kind of matters, right? Like, why have a sequencer if you're not going to use multiple channels? Why have a sequencer if you're not going to rely on multiple touches? Why have a sequencer if you're not going to take a very strategic, methodical, planned approach towards igniting a conversation? The beauty of that is, you know, CRMs were... Systems of record still are. So the data finds them, which, you know, has a place in the world. But the ability to orchestrate one's activities is an entirely different function, one that I believe makes a salesperson far more powerful and far more efficient. And frankly, you wrote the book on this, so (laughs) you probably should just take over this part of the interview and go, given that reality. That's my only rule. This is all about the guest. Uh, (laughs) That's like my, my inner code so many ways leading the witness like look i really look to you as a thought leader in the space especially based on just the volumes and scales you're working at right i scour the world for like who's sent a million emails right and i think you're on target to get to the orders of magnitude of these activities to see this my question for you too is like aiml where can you apply it today where it makes sense because people go okay we're going to just replace sdrs with ai machine learning and they're like yeah they kept telling us we're going to have self-driving Ubers. Has anyone taken a self-driving Uber, right? It's where's my hoverboard? Where's my flying car? (laughs) So, you know, where can we apply the advanced technology that will actually work? And I know in the third-party appointment setting, I mean, there's been companies that come in and automatically generate the meetings and then suddenly find out that they've just spammed every person in the world to get to the meetings. So, Well, what I will say this is back to our, our conversation of data, What's fascinating about our industry is that there are normalization curves that apply Hmm. and learning about those curves and paying attention to them through the data that, you know, we harvest and that we have just by virtue of working for so many different clients. I mean, we're talking hundreds here. Awesome. Is a pretty powerful thing that said, and again, I'm thinking of your audience here around, you know, kind of beyond sales development, 
it may seem, sound trite, it may sound overused, but I'm actually one of these believers that the human element will not be stripped away. In fact, I think that the, frankly, the SDR may be one of the last bastions. I don't know, we'll, we'll be hanging on by a thread in 2035, but like, they'll be one of the last bastions to be replaced. And the reason is really simple. If you bake out and you, you kind of strip away all the artifice of what is sales development, it's starting a conversation. Right. It's opening up a human conversation from one person to another. Yeah. That's it. And so, you know, we can get as fancy as we want. We can analyze data to the high heavens. The art of the start with regards to conversation still matters and it still is human. Otherwise, the job would have already been and already has been outsourced to marketers like myself who are really adroit at batch and blast. We're really adroit at like CPM thinking, right? Cost per mil or thousand, you know, where our messages can be broadcast to the world in big chunks with big branding and, you know, bold colors and all the rest of it. That's not what any SDR program that I've ever been a part of is about. It's about the one-to-one and treating it truly as a one-to-one. In fact, one of the things that's kind of interesting, and this is, not new, but it's one of the hotter topic areas in all of marketing. When you look at account-based marketing and, and you take, and I have a lot of respect for these guys, um, all the flip my funnel folks and the ways in which they're trying to really drive hard on everything should be account-based. Everything should be looked at from a very individual and personalized perspective. I think that's very congruent with this idea of one-to-one-to-one-to-one. So I think that is more of the future than Spray and pray, batch and blast, starting an A, working to Z, you know, going off and, and going kind of blind, smile and dial type of approaches that have precursored where we're headed. That's great. That's really interesting. So I would imagine that you're getting somewhere on the order of 200 emails a day or a week or some grotesque amount of email. <laughs> I, I like spent a few hundred hours researching this just because. I'm a glutton for punishment. I <laughs> I have no idea really why, but what I found was what do you do when Eric Quanstrom is getting a thousand automated emails a day that are all hyper personalized by machines and perfect? How would I get a hold of you? I'm curious how you answer that because I, I came up with an answer, but I want to know what you think. Well, I, I go back to some of my own instincts on the buy side and simply say that as much as I wish it weren't true the great emails are still seldom. The hyper-personalized emails are still seldom. They are the exceptions and not the rule for whatever that's worth. That's actually really valuable because that means that if people are just 5% better. Yeah. um, Yeah, In fact, it's funny. I give this speech internally and I've done it multiple times that it's not like the bar is so high. (laughs) You know, we're, we're not really in this profession like Olympians. (laughs) yeah let's just be honest and call a spade a spade we're training for recreational (laughs) capability here we're not going to break the three minute mile or or something ridiculous like that that the point i think again back to this humanness and one-to-one communication that takes effort it takes time it's not easy and one of the things that i've I think it's just a human flying the ointment is we work in a rejection or objection filled business. 
So even when you, you know, kind of work the craft, you're still going to have pushback. You're still going to have people that, that aren't buying what you're selling. They're not picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> and that is its own tax or friction point on the craft. It, it's hard, right? Human beings, the human brain hasn't evolved to the place where we can just look past rejection and, you know, like everybody says, well, just let it roll off your back. It doesn't. To be human means any rejection is felt actually more than physical pain, believe it or not, right? That's the brain science. That's not just me spouting it off. As such, like one of the things that, you know, we coach and teach and train to there is probably one of the most acceptable patterns that you can get into is to frankly, just build up the callus to figure out like, Hey, how can I get rejection and move past or move on? And usually the answer to that is get right back on the call, get right back on the next email, get right back on the next activity Mm -hmm. uh, so that you're not allowed to dwell. I like that. I guess that just made me think of a couple of things. So I like your answer. My answer came up with referrals because you can't fake it. Like, you know, I have a friend that's a colleague that went to school with you. Uh, that's, that's only, I only have that friend in you that can never change. No machine can fake you out that those inner relationships. So I thought it was so cool with LinkedIn to do the team link and to do like the second degree. And it would be so compelling if the API opened and I could programmatize these second degree intros. This would get pretty wild. Yeah. Because then they back down like, do you really know, you know, Quantum's friend? Oh yeah, I do. And you would check and you couldn't fake it. And that would maybe be in the thousand emails. The warm introduction would still get there. Yeah. But that's an yeah. old school tactic. And I don't know if you can scale that with AI, you know? That's a really interesting point. And, and I definitely see, you know, referrals are powerful. Let's just be honest. They're probably the number one most successful reason for taking a call, engaging. That said, I think even if we have, you and I both, I think have quite a lot of LinkedIn connections. We're well into the thousands, <laughs> not tens of thousands. Yeah. And that said, I don't know about you, but I don't have all day to kind of like be somebody's referrer. Yeah, when I'm exactly. Or be used as a referral mechanism. And I think that there's a very limited amount of patience for that. Again, to like you said, to the upper echelon of people you actually know, the people that you, you know, would consider either friendly or colleagues or someone that you would want your name attached to going forward. Yeah, the context has to be so good to incentivize any kind of motion. And that's where it's muddy because what incentivize the person wanting to drive the referral? You know, there's like these paid referral programs where the person in the middle gets paid and they've tried everything under the sun. Well, we only have a couple minutes left here, but I would be curious on your advice to SDR leaders who may be working in the channel on how to make the call between hiring your own SDR team or bringing on someone like science and then just kind of finding out, you know, where can people find you on LinkedIn and find out more about the company any more thoughts that you have on the future of sales development, right? Do you think it's going to be replacing reps or Jarvis? You kind of answered that. You think it's paradoxical because it seems like engineers are trying to eliminate the rep, but you're taking the bold contrarian approach to say the SDR will be there in 2025, 2050, maybe. Oh, without a doubt. And I think that that SDR continues to evolve. 
So the better the tools become, hopefully the better the SDR becomes. Definitely. And the better they can become at their craft. And frankly, when, when I really think about it, entropy taking hold, specialization taking hold, you have people at the top end of their craft, potentially even by channel. So that we have ultimately SDRs that only make phone calls, right? Or only send emails or only work LinkedIn. Yeah. Because that is their facility. That is where they find their flow state. That is where they excel. And that Smart. becomes a real powerful reality for them. Much like, again, I'm not going to ask my designers to start, you know, drafting our next press release. Sorry. Not going <laughs> to Yeah. So when does someone hire science or bring in a third party? Is it more augmentation? Can it be product leg org? I just would love to get. Sure. I think the first cut is your own business model. So ultimately, if I'm a business leader, sales leader, marketing leader, I have to have a product or service that is appropriate for outbound first and foremost. If it's not, if I'm selling premium SaaS software, there's no point in going outbound because the business model will never work and, and it won't pencil out. Once you're into a non-transactional sale, more consultative sale with component parts and a rhythm all its own, here's the, the decision criteria as I would say, or as I would advise a business. Ultimately, when you use an outsourced partner, they should have three things in place. They should have, frankly, the people, the process and the product all ironed out and ready to go. And guess what? You can benefit from that. If you don't, then you've hired the wrong vendor and you've chosen the wrong partner. Sorry, that's four piece. But ultimately, <laughs> you should be on the lookout for the kind of program that they want to run. Like, what are your processes? Ask people, interview them, throw, put the, the screws to them, look on review sites to determine what they've done for other businesses of your type, your size, your growth curve, your industry. And then ask them about, again, the kind of process that they use, do the, what products they use, what tech stack, and then about their people. Because they should have cogent answers on all three dimensions. And what's beautiful about that is whether you have your own SDRs in-house or not, I think a lot of people really miss out when they don't use a comparison set, when they don't go out of house to figure out like, hey, maybe there's a lot I could learn from this outsourced vendor who's really good at putting together playbooks and really bespoke research and going after a market in, in a way that maybe I'm not seeing in a right. way that like, I always like to say, cross your arms. Okay. Now cross them the other way. <laughs> Most of the time when people have to think about it because they're not used to it, they say, Oh, that's a blind spot. Oh, they're my arms, but I'm not used to using them in that fashion. Right. Sometimes some of the biggest insights, and frankly, I think the corporate executive board before they were acquired, built an entire business on this and they called it commercial insights was what is obvious to you about your business that you're still missing. That's great. That's a great, I wish I could just talk all day. I, I'm really loving the conversation. Where can people find you and the company? It is science without an S like Sam. There's an awesome little rocket ship. They're somewhat of the NASA for SDRs right now, I feel like, but yeah. How, what are some resources for people to find you? Yeah, without a doubt, you can hit us at science.com and that's C-I-E-N-C-E. -E. You can also find us on LinkedIn if you wanted to find me personally and, you know, throw your hand into the ring and try to sell me something as an SDR. <laughs> <laughs> There's not that many questions in the world. <laughs> and so, you know, you do a search with uh, Eric Quanstrom and you'll probably find me. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for your time today. 
and all the contributions. Thanks again, Eric. You bet, Justin.